0: Sydney, by 2050, is actually looking to house another 3.1 million people. Another 3.1 million people. It's taken 227 years for Sydney to reach 5 million people. Just another 30 years, it'll reach 8 million people. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Tell you what, today's show is jam-packed. We're going to discover the treasure map of real estate, sometimes known as town planning. Yes, if you're a want-to-be geographer... Town planning is the geography of the real estate economy. And I tell you what, my favorite subject at school was without question geography. And my second favorite subject was history. Put those two together, add some real estate, shake it up, and you've got yourself a little thing known as town planning, which I often reference to property investors as a bit of a treasure map. If you've ever wanted to understand how to look over the horizon and see what's coming in real estate, studying town planning is a great tool to really unlock the potential of an area or even a place. Today's show is really the how, what, when, where and why of town planning at a macro level. We're not going to delve into micro details on how to understand a local government area or a development control plan of a particular property. Today, I thought we would start the conversation, which is a big conversation, a very macro level, starting with really what is town planning and how we as property investors can really make the most of understanding our comprehension of town planning to buy the right assets. I think for me, I see quite often in real estate, people not understanding where they are buying from a location point of view and what they are buying and how it potentially links to planning. My last three property deals in the real estate marketplace have all been linked to a certain type of behaviour around this little treasure map, this little thing known as town planning. All of them very different property deals. I quite often have conversations with property investors about their properties and what astounds me is quite often they don't understand how their property links to the greater master plan of an area, of a suburb or even a city. Today I want to give you really a more planetary and city-based overview of town planning so you can walk away from this podcast really starting to understand how our cities are evolving and what type of areas stand for what type of outcome. My last three deals have all been town planning based. In fact, when I buy real estate, town planning is really a location strategy As many of you know, I teach the 4X growth plan to find capital growth in the real estate marketplace. What's the 4X growth plan? Well, if you haven't heard me talk about it, you've got to go back a few podcasts. But I will remind people the 4X growth plan is all about growth from doing a deal, making money by negotiating well, whether that's a great term, whether that's the ability to add value, or whether that's just getting a really good price. The second part of the puzzle is location. And town planning to me is the second X of the growth plan. Location, location, location. So how do we know if a place is a good location in reference to this treasure map of real estate? Well, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how cities are evolving and of course understanding how those locations are a key principle to the 4X growth plan. The third part of the puzzle is, of course, growth itself from a macro level, from a city. The fourth part of the puzzle is behavioral growth. What kind of influences at a macro and micro level are going to influence a property's growth? Things like orientation or view. But today, we're going to go into that second quadrant of the 4X growth plan, location, locational growth. Town planning, for the most part, is really a locational growth strategy. If you can understand town planning, you can make money. My last three deals have all been different. Last uh, deal, or, or second last deal I bought, third last deal actually I bought personally, was in Collingwood. Collingwood is a very historical part of Melbourne, and the street I bought in was a urban rebirth strategy. No one had put new property in that street for over 100 years. The town plan really highlighted to me that history was what I was buying. I was buying a piece of Australian history, not just a property. In this particular situation, not an apartment, but a street that was very rare to get into, first time offered in 100 years. Town planning is very much the history of an area, the history of a city, and how to protect that history from really overdevelopment. It is also the future of a city. Things like new infrastructure, new rail lines, new trade routes opening to a neighbourhood. The second last property I bought in real estate was in Footscray. I'm doing a town planning amalgamation strategy at a property level. But Footscray is embarking on a new journey as a new suburb, which is old, being recycled, which is a town planning principle. What I'm really buying in Footscray which is a suburb, if you don't know it, about six kilometres from the CBD of Melbourne, is new trade routes. Those new trade routes have been gazetted in Melbourne town planning. Things like new trade routes to Melbourne Airport, new trade routes to brand new hospitals coming to that suburb. All of a sudden, what I'm really focusing in on at a location level is the future opportunity of footscray not the current opportunity of footscray melbourne's town planning scheme is evolving melbourne is opening up a rail line to its airport by 2029 melbourne will have a rail link to australia's biggest airport which obviously creates a trade route town planning is as much about protecting history as it is about opening new trade routes. You can see the difference in those two deals. Collingwood, I bought history, the protection of a neighborhood. Footscray, I bought the future economy, the economy of tomorrow, and new trade routes. The third deal I recently bought was, as part of a joint venture with other investors, as a bit of an armchair developer, I bought a large block of land in Brisbane, was able to subdivide it into 29 separate blocks of land. All three deals had three different behaviours when it came to understanding why town planning is important. Again, today I want to give you a macro overview of town planning and why I think it can really game change a property investor's portfolio. For me, I've always studied town planning. Even my principal place of residence is fundamentally in a suburb which is just so protected by the town planning scheme. Arguably, I have Australia's most famous tree in my street. The tree protects the street. And because it protects the street and the history of this area, all of a sudden the value proposition of my neighbourhood where I live, is very expensive. It literally goes up hundreds of thousands of dollars when the market moves. Some properties in this neighbourhood go up a million dollars when the market moves. History. History is a big driver of town planning, the protectionism of neighbourhoods. We have NIMBYs and YIMBYs, and really, you've just got to decide how you're going to invest. There is no right or wrong. Again, I live arguably where Australia has its most famous street or most famous tree, I should say. The tree marks the spot where the Duke of Edinburgh, the son of the Queen Victoria, got shot. Yes. A scallywag here in Australia tried to knock off a member of the royal British royal family and they did it in my street. The Duke of Edinburgh or the prince fundamentally got shot and just like a Hollywood movie, the belt buckle saved him from certain death. The bullet Landon lodged in the belt buckle. And this little known piece of Australian history, which occurred on March 12, 1868, has transformed my suburb into a very protected neighbourhood. Arguably... We are the most protected suburb in Australia. I always say this. I live in the most nimby suburb in Australia. We, as residents of the suburb, we fundamentally meet and we work out how to block just about every development application coming into this neighbourhood. Why do we do that? Well, I can tell you there is a lot of nepotism in real estate. If you can work out how to stop supply coming to your suburb, guess what happens to the property values in your neighbourhood? They go up. NIMBY is not in my backyard, but also you'll notice when I bought Footscray, I was a YIMBY, yes, in my backyard. I bought in that neighbourhood because I want the train line. I want the hospital. There is an economic arbitrage which will occur by virtue of that new amenity and infrastructure by virtue of the town plan coming to that particular property deal. I've worked out that town planning is a very, very important part of the puzzle. Now, I'll tell you what, if you're watching on YouTube, I apologize for the state of my nose. It has been a very, very hot day today, and I have sunned myself to virtually a burnt, crisp face My nose is a strange colour. In fact, half my nose is a strange colour, making it even more weird to see uh, my reflection right now in this camera. I have a strange nose right now. If you're listening, uh, you do not have to put up with the strange nose, but I apologise to those people potentially watching on YouTube having to put up with my weird nose. The other thing that's happened to me today, I've just got back from a Zeltzer party. I didn't even know what a Zeltzer was. Apparently, a seltzer is a uh, new fad of, of beverage. People are now having seltzers. A gin and grapefruit seltzer, which is basically a low-carbonated, no-sugar beverage. I just had a Sunny Eddie, which is a lovely little tonic. But I tell you what, uh, when I grew up, And in my town planning scheme, it was either a bourbon and coke or a beer, not a a grapefruit, gin, seltzer. So I've just got back from the seltzer party and I'm, uh, I'm, well, I'm burnt to a crisp. So where were we? We're talking town planning. And I think when you talk town planning, sometimes it's really cool to drill down And I like to explain town planning in in a few ways. And the first real way is the world actually has a town plan. Then a country has a town plan. Then a city has a town plan. Then a suburb has a town plan. And even a street or a property is affected by town planning. Right now, you may have some assets and not even know What is occurring when it comes to the density levels or the activity levels in the suburb your property is in? Town planning is so important because it is really a bit of a treasure map as to unlocking gold. Remember, I bought in Collingwood, the treasure map told me history. I bought in Footscray, the treasure map told me about the future economy, infrastructure, amenity. Hospitals and train lines. I bought in Brisbane and subdivided the land. The treasure mat told me if I buy that large parcel of land, I can create 29 new parcels of land. Take one, turn them into 29. So let's start with the world. The world is without question a large town plan. And really we can learn a lot from the idea that the world is a a massive Series of pipelines and fiber optic tables and trade routes. I'm sure you've all heard of the Silk Road, China's ambition to really control the world through trade routes. We can see right now, firsthand, you know, uh, America and, and China are going head to head when it comes to trade. Why? It is really about uh, becoming a global superpower but also understanding how those trade routes flow. So town planning is about two key fundamentals. It's about population growth and it is about trade route growth. If a suburb's going to grow, it's going to need population and trade routes. Some suburbs are overpopulated and getting into them is impossible because there's just no ability to put more real estate in them. Trade routes create economics. The world is fighting over trade routes. Town planning at a global level is just global trade routes. And when you look at the infrastructure being spent around the world, it is mind-blowing. Right now, $78 trillion worth of infrastructure is being spent renovating the world. We are having right now planetary urbanization, and planetary gentrification. All of the gentrification occurring at a mass level is designed to create trade routes. Cities are economies. And if cities talk to other cities, they become more prosperous. The people who live in those cities then become more prosperous. Suburbs, however, which I really want you to leave understanding, are also trade routes. Suburbs are just micro-economies. The more money that comes into a suburb or the more flow of trade that flows in and out of a suburb, the more that suburb has the opportunity to grow. At one point, it will grow so much that it needs to be protected. You just need to work out whether you have the financial capacity to buy in a protected neighbourhood, which is usually more expensive than a suburb which is opening new trade routes it's no right or wrong it's just two ways to make money around the world 78 trillion dollars being spent on planetary renovation the world is being renovated and it's all to do with trade you've got things like the extension of the panama canal the Maramei tunnel in turkey you've got norway creating underwater train lines that are not dug into the earth but are Fundamentally floating underwater train lines to connect the many islands of Norway for more trade. You've got the widest bridge of the world being created in Vancouver. Trade, trade, trade. The more trade that comes into your economy, the more taxpayers you can create, the more tax revenue you can collect, the more GDP your economy will will actually make. Suburbs are just micro-economies. They are just a smaller version of a city. And a city is just a smaller version of a country. And the world is going through planetary urbanisation at a staggering rate. At a staggering rate. More money is being spent now than in the entire last 4,000 years. And when you think about the mega cities of the world, they teach Australian and New Zealand cities so much. I'm a big traveller. I love getting out and about. Obviously, coronavirus has has uh, punched me in the face when it comes to travel. But if you've ever travelled, you do notice, I think, some of the differences in town planning. I'm a big traveller. I love going to, for example, Tokyo. Tokyo is the world's biggest city, a mega city. 38 million people live in Tokyo. But what we learn about Tokyo is that Tokyo is a really good example of two big things which town planning are about trade routes and people the population is so big there Australia's population is growing and when we think about the planet we think about Australia's business plan we can soon work out that places like Japan can teach us a lot of things See, if you were to look at a satellite image of the uh, whole Japanese landscape at night time and look at where the lights are on in Japan at night, you'll notice Tokyo is a lot bigger than actually 38 million people. Tokyo actually never actually ends. The lights are on for a very long part of Japan. In fact... Tokyo, a city of 38 million people, quickly becomes Yokohama, a city of 12 million people. Tokyo's urban mass is huge. It's a series of train lines, of roadways, and it fundamentally is a just mega, mega place. People today can commute in and out of Tokyo very easily. Japan after World War II rebuilt itself and one of the smartest things it did was build fast rail. The Shinkansen allows many Japanese people to live quite far from very expensive Tokyo but use it regularly for business, even daily. You can live in Yokohama and work in Tokyo. It's a very normal thing to do. You can live as far away as Kyoto and get to places like Tokyo really quite quickly using the Shinkansen rail system. What that teaches us is mobility is so important to trade. Why I'm buying in Footscray? Mobility. Mobility to trade. The trade routes of Footsgray are open and I'll explain a little bit more about that as we go. But When we think about trade routes at a global level, you've probably heard of the Silk Road, China's ambition to town plan the world so that most of the economics flow in and out of China. Really, when you think about the epicentre of the world today, it really is, from an economics point of view, somewhere in the Himalayas, somewhere between China and India is the epicentre of the economic world. And I mean that in the context that those two countries are really driving the economy of tomorrow they are fundamentally uh the two emerging powers and if not already china today is laying claim to being one of the uh superpowers or the superpower of the world how's it doing it trade routes town planning It is creating more and more little villages that feed off China. Today, you can fundamentally get a fast train from, for example, Bangkok into China. Thailand and China are interconnected through mobility. The more mobility you give to a country, a city, or a suburb, the more opportunity that suburb, city, or country has to grow. Again, I teach planetary town planning first and I will come back in subsequent podcasts to talk further about how to drill right into a town plan, how to understand how to read a local government um, initiative of planning but I think it's really important to understand how town planning really does happen at a global level so we can drill into more local conversations. Australia and New Zealand have got big properties. I mean Foreign people come to Australia and are absolutely gobsmacked at the size of homes we live in. When I was growing up, the 1,000-square-metre block of land with a house on it was pretty normal. Then it went to 500. Then it went to 250 in, for example, Sydney. Today we are now cutting land up uh, tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter to allow for a huge principle of town planning population the world is fast on its way to adding another billion people to it those people need to live somewhere australia is a fast-growing continent it's a fast-growing country it is a country of migration migrants do not bring houses with them they need to come here and start housing Cities only have so much space. And to an extreme level, we can learn a lot from, for example, Tokyo. At an extreme level, many people in Tokyo today live in small apartments, 18 square meter apartments. Why? Population versus space. Here in Australia, our density levels and New Zealand are always changing. But Australians and Kiwis will probably not for another 500 years living in an 18 square meter apartment, we build big properties here. And we're very fortunate that today the the norm is really sort of like a 200 square meter home or a 50 square meter one bedroom, not an 18 square meter one bedroom. The reason is we certainly from an urban point of view are a little bit of a younger place than, for example, Tokyo, which has been around a lot longer than certainly most of Australian cities. So it is really fascinating. And I think, you know, understanding by mid-century, 75% of the world will live in a city is really amazing to comprehend. And I say this to property investors all the time. Melbourne is going to be an 8 million person city. Sydney is going to be an 8 million person city. Today, those cities are more or less around 5 million people. Even if you buy in those cities today, you're absolutely ahead of the game because there's still three more million people to come who have not yet lived or worked or played or bought real estate in that city. How valuable does a property become when you own a piece of real estate in a street where no one has bought real estate for 100 years in a cracking location? Town planning. How valuable does your real estate become when it's connected to some of the best infrastructure of that particular city? Very valuable. That is the answer to the riddle. Now, a lot of places in our cities just don't stack up. Not everywhere is connected to the town plan. There is kind of like this misalignment between property investors and planning. Property investors. Quite often want to buy a cheap property in a suburb which sounds great, but then fail to look at the emerging economy of that suburb and realize that it's not actually tightly held. Uh, no one aspires to live there. And even worse, there's no plan to put a train line or a university or a hospital or an airport nearby. And The greatest crime I think a property investor can do to themselves is to buy real estate which absolutely has no protection uh, to it through planning or no future prosperity around it through planning. Remember, planning is really all about the idea that there just needs to be more infrastructure to house a growing population. We can really understand from planetary town planning that if we if we follow the trade routes we're going to get we're going to we're going to make money china is not investing in trade routes for fun it is doing it without question to create money if you choose a trade route suburb in a town plan you're going to make money we can also learn that probably australia will never have fast rail it's a long time off The day you can wake up in Cairns and go two hours quickly by express rail to Brisbane to work. Uh, The day that happens, I don't know, I'll dance the jig. I'm ready to dance the jig the day that happens. so You will not wake up in Coffs Harbour at the Big Banana. Have a Big Banana and then jump on a shinkansen and arrive in Brisbane one hour later anytime soon. So we can learn... That really, Australia has a very simple set of dynamics when it comes to real estate. You buy in a big city or you buy at least drivable to a big city. And we're seeing, obviously, with the decentralization of economics, a lot of people filtering out to those wellness communities like Byron Bay and so forth, but they are still close to big cities. Byron Bay is an hour away from the Gold Coast. It's an hour, two hours away from Brisbane. So they're not isolated areas and they don't need a Shinkansen to save them. However, Australia is a big landmass and our east coast is a huge, huge uh, distance and we are not getting anything like that soon. We can also learn from the Japanese model that mobility and proximity is important. There is only so much land and there are plenty of people. So if you can buy close to something, you're going to win. If you've got the ability to move around, you're going to win. We can also probably realize that Australians ain't going to live in an 18 square meter apartment, nor Kiwis. So, miniature properties are probably not going to take off anytime soon in our two countries. So, again, understanding town planning for me is all about understanding cities. Australia has two global cities, Melbourne and Sydney. We have two new world cities, for example, Brisbane and Perth. The only difference between the two from a planning point of view is global cities have a huge population and try and retrofit their infrastructure. New world cities plan their infrastructure out, then try and attract their population. So think about what I'm talking about. We have global town planning, planetary town planning. Then we have what Australia wants. Australia wants... Forty million people by 2050. The Australian government says to the state governments or territory governments, we need another 15 million people. Where are we going to put them? The state government says, well, we would love some of that talent that uh, is going to flow into the country when migration is going. Uh, We would love more taxpayers. We would love more jobs in our economy. We want more people. So the state government comes up with a set of standards and this is in town planning language in different states it's all called different things but for example you might be called the state environmental planning policy. What that really is is an overarching plan for a state's growth and remember I was saying town planning is a bit of a treasure map. If you can comprehend the treasure map, you can obviously potentially find gold. State government will uh, put in all sorts of gold in the overarching plan, where they're going to protect bushland, where they're going to create population growth spots or population corridors, where they're going to uh, allow for and promote higher density, which again just gives you so much intel on where to invest, and potentially where not to invest. Now, remember, so much real estate is disconnected from town planning. And I'm going to give you some tips to understand cities so you can potentially invest in the right area. But let's take Sydney's town plan. Sydney is a city of 5 million people, and by 2050, it wants to reach around 8 million people. Sydney will need another 3 million people, But actually, it's going to need an extra million houses. It's going to need to create an extra 1.5 million new jobs. And as part of the overarching plan of Sydney, you are going to see five cities connected. Liverpool, Parramatta, Penrith, North Sydney, and Sydney CBD. That is effectively designed to create one global city. As you understand the overarching pan of a global city, you can start to then work out where the best areas are to invest. Is that near potential major centres, planned major centres, specialised service centres like hospitals, universities? When was the last time a hospital shut down? Fundamentally, Hospitals are a great place to invest because quite often they have a very long lifespan connected to the town plan. Think about even getting someone to an emergency uh, area of a hospital. You need roads to do that. You need full connection. And it's understanding how these connections work which fascinate me. Remember, in real estate, there are six market drivers for growth. When it comes to the broad market economics population economics is just trade routes population is why we create town planning infrastructure is mobility demographics is obviously just the people inside that uh that uh that system and then from a town planning of view We have areas which will never get supply, like historical neighbourhoods where the British royal family got shot, to areas which are designed as future growth centres. Again, there's no right or wrong, there just is, and it's up to you as a property investor to comprehend what you're doing. I see, for example, people buying an emerging community, which is an emerging population growth area, and hold real estate for two, three years, and then wonder why it's hard to sell when the fundamentals of that town plan is all new real estate. It's just designed around completely new suburbs evolving. And of course, where there's new suburbs evolving, there's new real estate to buy. So selling secondhand is a little bit tough. So potentially if you're buying in an emerging marketplace, you've just got to have a, a medium to long-term point of view and you can tell this by understanding the town plan. You know, Sydney's got some great infrastructure plans, things like the $16.8 billion West Connects. We've got new airports opening, for example, in Western Sydney at some point into the future. All of this creates opportunity. All of this is gazetted by government. And when we understand how to comprehend what government is telling us is occurring over the horizon, we can buy next door to the airport. We can understand where the trade route is occurring through Sydney to uh, to uh, through West Connects. You know, Sydney has some great infrastructure already, which has... Already proven itself as a trade route. You can go out to Kellyfield or Rouse Hill, which is quite far away from Sydney CBD. Rouse Hill is like 50 kilometers away from the city, but the average property value there now is well over a million dollars. The reason it's well over a million dollars, it has a trade route. It's got the rail line. The rail line connects into Sydney CBD. The commerce is connected. You can go to suburbs which are closer into the city which actually are less popular because they are off-grid. They are suburbs which are disconnected from the town plan. Not every suburb is a winner from town planning and in fact 70% of suburbs are losers. They have no history to them. They are not tightly held or protected by the town plan and they are disconnected from future economics of new rail or new hospitals or new infrastructure like connection to airports. So the lost bit of our cities quite often ends up and you've no doubt you've driven through them you drive through them and you 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 fundamentally see urban decay. You see rundown houses, rundown streets, unloved neighborhoods. And it's because those suburbs are really fragmented from the town plan itself. And I'll explain to you about the 20-minute neighborhood in a few minutes' time, so you can really comprehend the better areas to invest in. Like I said, you know, for me, I buy history, but on the other hand, I buy future opportunity. I'm both a NIMBY and a YIMBY. My latest yes in my backyard deal was in Footscray. Yes, I want the train line. Yes, I want the brand new hospital, $5 billion hospital, $5 billion train line. In fact, if we study Footscray, by 2029, it's going to be connected to Melbourne Airport. Melbourne Airport is obviously massive massive employment node in fact airports typically are the second biggest employment node outside of uh, the major cbd of cities you can imagine just how much trade comes through airport whether it's tourism but fundamentally also a lot of freight is often moved through airlines and so trade and logistics and and so forth it's a huge 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 uh port fundamentally is an airport so footscray now is by rail 18 minutes to uh melbourne airport well not now but in 2029 so all of a sudden footscray has a 20 minute uh, as a 20 minute neighborhood and a 20 minute neighborhood is just the idea that whatever it was in within reach within 20 minutes comes into the realm of someone's ability to live there in other words if someone can get somewhere in 20 minutes that's their backyard any further than 20 minutes people don't want to live there so all of a sudden footscray gets melbourne airport it is now 20 minutes away 18 minutes to be precise so what does that do to the trade route from melbourne airport to footscray well it adds so much value all of a sudden. Pilots might live in Footscray because they can get out to the airport. Pilots make a lot of money, so they're going to spend money on property. They're going to activate the marketplace in, for example, Footscray. You can see the idea of future economics at work. So the state really runs the show, and then they talk to councils. And each different state has different councils and each city has different councils in sydney there's something like 37 council areas that make up greater sydney all those council areas have different levels of their approach to two things they have different views when it comes to population and trade Older, more established suburbs, which were really the first suburbs of Sydney, fundamentally protect their neighbourhood because they have this kind of built-out effect where the best land was bought early in the peace hundreds of years ago and fundamentally rich people love being rich, So they tend to make sure the supply does not come to their area. On the other hand, many local government areas of Sydney put way too much real estate in their backyard. They flood those areas with huge amounts of apartments and height limits and things like that. So again, there's no right or wrong It's just understanding what you're doing. If you're going to buy in an area where there's lots of apartments, you better make sure it's a bloody good area with future town planning uh, activity, which is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Otherwise, you're potentially going to take a bit of a risk, whether you buy a house or an apartment, because where there's uh, too much stock, we usually see a bit of a problem into the future. So I teach location growth as a strategy, right? And my location growth strategy is all about town planning. So I'm going to give you some tips around that. The first way to understand a neighborhood, and I'm going to explain this in the context of, really in the context that rather than becoming an expert on trying to read LEPs or Local, local Environmental Plans to Understand What a Neighbourhood Is, I'm going to teach you the behavioural version of what a neighbourhood is so you can understand the differences between neighbourhoods. The first neighbourhood, which is common in cities, is what we would call an Urban Renewal Neighbourhood. A neighbourhood which is fundamentally designed around supply. It's designed around new things coming to it. It's designed around new coffee shops, new bars, new atmosphere. It is designed around a suburb fundamentally renovating itself for change. Urban renewal. Now, urban renewal, if done right, Can be spectacularly valuable for a real estate investor. I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars from getting urban renewal right. If you want to see a great example of urban renewal, just go to Barangaroo. People pay four, five, six million dollars for two bedroom apartments in Barangaroo, which is mind blowing. And, of course, if you bought there years ago, you would be up millions of dollars by virtue of urban renewal. Urban renewal is all about the idea that certain suburbs are absolutely cracking and if this urban rebirth occurs, we are absolutely transforming something which is very valuable into something that's brand new. And again, I teach this a lot. Urban renewal cannot happen in inferior locations. You never want to buy urban renewal in B or C or D grade parts of the city. However, in the A grade parts of the city, the areas that look at the Opera House, the areas that look at Brisbane CBD, the areas that look at Melbourne, uh, you know, Melbourne's skyline. These areas are terrific areas for urban renewal because if done right, it creates a lot of growth. The second investment area, if you drive around neighbourhoods of cities, suburbs of cities, is what I call NIMBY suburbs, not in my backyard suburbs. Again, I live in potentially Australia's most NIMBY suburb. NIMBYs love saying no to development. And NIMBYs love being rich. Rich people love being rich. They stop development so that no new stock comes into the market, so property values rise accordingly. In fact, my neighbourhood is so NIMBY, they talk about kidnapping koalas. So never in the history of uh, of this suburbs uh, 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 dynamic will it ever be influenced by supply. And I say that in jest, but NIMBY suburbs are great investment areas. Again, the problem with NIMBY suburbs is they're expensive, so you may have to look at a smaller dwelling. The third part of town planning, when you're assessing the idea from a behavioural point of view of a neighbourhood, is what we call brand new growth corridors, quite often house and land communities which are really fundamentally assessed around the idea that that land is being transformed. Land transformation is the third part of the puzzle. Growth corridors are where people are designed to go and live. And again, good land growth corridors, where land is escalating in value quite quickly, where brand new communities are sprawling up, quite often get a bit of a bad rap but actually can be spectacular for capital growth. And again, I've made a lot of money in land corridors, but there is a few rules around understanding the transformation of land corridors. A lot of it is to do with future town planning, just how mobile will the people who live in those corridors be? Will they be disconnected from infrastructure, or will they actually be part of overall town planning and once you work out that quite often many land communities brand new actually have better town planning than some older suburbs disconnected in similar areas you soon realize why so many people flock to them the fourth type of neighborhood is what i call historic or rare And I love buying real estate in historic neighbourhoods. You may have heard my crazy little story about my historic street with the uh, Duke of Edinburgh, the, the Queen Victoria's son, being shot here. History. Collingwood, the property I bought 100 years since a property has been created in that street. Rare. Rare real estate is fundamentally real estate that usually goes up in value. You don't often hear of something that's rare, not going up in value. And rare real estate to me and rare suburbs and rare neighbourhoods quite often are just sometimes out of reach for many property investors but there's still the odd deal out there that just springs to the attention of the market and is snapped up. And guess what? The day you sell that property, the headline on it is going to be First time offered in 40 years, this rare piece of property is now going to marketplace. Remember, just how valuable is that if you can get your hands on it? And the final piece of the puzzle is what I call the aspirational middle ring of our cities. Remember, cities have three rings, the inner urban ring, the middle suburban ring, and the outer brand new ring. The middle ring is typically where there's a lot of capital growth. There's a lot of houses there, a lot of families there. But from a town planning point of view, there are some things which I teach. I teach, for example, the idea that quite often from a planning point of view, it is very hard to uh, mess with certain things. And I teach the five belt system. Five belts. Yes, a belt. Just like what you put around your pants to hold your pants up. A belt kind of is the idea that yes, something is held together but also the idea that something is protected. So from a town planning point of view at a local level, at a suburban level we might be looking for example a school belt. School belt means that Uh, a certain school is going to be extremely popular and if it's a state school and extremely popular, more people want to live in that neighbourhood because the town plan of that neighbourhood has a very good school system. Families love school systems and educating kids at a cheap rate is very important because I don't know if you've checked the prices of... uh, private schools recently, but to send a child to a private school can be anywhere from thirty dollars to $40,000 a year. You've probably got three kids and one of them's pretty dumb anyway, but you've still got to send that kid to private school. You got ninety, dollars $100,000 a year in school fees when fundamentally if you move to the school belt, you're going to get the trade route of education. Sand belts or beaches um, or or harbors, also very protected undertown planning. So quite often uh, you end up with a really good outcome buying in those surf towns as part of cities or, or beach areas as part of cities. Again, very protected and as part of the aspirational middle ring, awesome places to own real estate. Then you've got the education and medical belt. Uh, fundamentally near hospitals or universities. And quite often, these two precincts again are just protected and, uh, and they just add so much to the town plan of the city. Then you've got what I call green belts. Green belts are, are fundamentally areas with great parklands and bushlands and protected uh, under the, the state plan national parks and and obviously owning real estate where there is an inability to build new real estate is quite often a great way to make money using the aspirational middle ring and the final one is what we call sort of the cultural belt where more of one culture wants to live and because more than one culture wants to more of one culture wants to live in a place generally there's less property and and more demand And we can assess that really through the idea that a city evolves and people evolve with it. Now, I'm going to come back and teach you all about the development control plan another day, how to read control plans, how to really understand uh, real estate using control plans. But I think I'll leave you with this conversation. Town planning today is really three big drivers. The first driver is the idea of renewal, In other words, 60% of town planning is the recreation of suburbs which already exist. It is really just the upgrading and renovation of existing neighbourhoods. Rather like planetary renovation, suburbs also are impacted by renovation. And understanding where that infrastructure is going, where that hospital is going to be built, where those demographics of people want to live how people want to interface with this kind of live, work and play mentality. It's all about understanding what suburbs will be renewed quicker. That renewal will bring growth with real estate. 40% of real estate, on the other hand, is brand new cow paddocks being turned into land subdivisions or housing subdivisions. Obviously, buying in one or the other just takes a little bit of comprehension on how to approach buying in one or the other the second big driver of real estate and town planning is of course the driver of mobility which we discussed with the tokyo example early on today people want to live in a 20-minute neighborhood if you can look at a neighborhood and see in the town plan there is the ability to be close to things or mobile to things your real estate's going to work. Remember the Footscray example. It is now 18 minutes from an airport. Footscray, in its 20-minute neighbourhood, now has Australia's second biggest airport in it. Up until that transformation of town planning, it did not have that in its 20-minute neighbourhood. Now Footscray's value proposition is also Footscray, but an airport. Hopefully that kind of makes sense. Foot's great. it's got its airport, it's now got its train line, it's now got its hospital, lots of good things happening there. The third driver is really the functionality of uh, town planning, more or less the highest and best use of town planning, which I will come back and talk to you about into the future. Remember, most of our cities have more areas than less that are not great pockets to buy real estate in. And so understanding the treasure map is really a key principle. Making sure your real estate is going to be uh, impacted in a positive way by how town planning unfolds. Whether that's growth of an area through airports and tunnels and train lines and 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 uh, hospitals, or whether that's the protection of a neighbourhood through history. Town planning is really the key metric to understand how it all unfolds hey i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the urban property investor tune in for more i'll catch you next week for another great show Uh, if you feel like leaving me a review you're more than welcome to for now take care sam saggers signing off thanks for tuning into the urban property investor to never miss an episode make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on youtube i would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.